Know what it takes for you to be an influencer in your industry? A million followers? A million dollars? Hear stories from real-life influencers to discover what it truly takes to be an influencer. This is Influence That Innovates. Welcome to Influence That Innovates, where we are exploring what it means to be an influencer. I'm Andrew Gabbert, and I'm here with this week's influencer, Ralph Young. Ralph is a marketing enthusiast, entrepreneur, and businessman, and as a customer relationship and referral marketing specialist, trainer, speaker, and marketing consultant. He's founded Word of Mouth Marketing, where he teaches applied neurolinguistics to business and sales professionals. I do need to mention that the views and opinions expressed by this week's influencer do not represent those of the show or Joyco. Welcome, Ralph. Well, thank you. That's Good kind of a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, yes, it can be. NLP for short. NLP, got it. Uh, first question I want to ask you is, what does the term influencer mean to you? Well, I think influencer is a diverse term, but overall it's something that, that people actually follow and understand the dynamics of improvement and that you can have the opportunity to deliver that content to other people. Uh, what they do with it, how they utilize it, um, is to each individual's own merit. Mm -hmm. But uh, overall, just giving somebody insight and ideas that they didn't have yesterday or even five minutes ago, um, I truly believe is the component of influencing. I like that because you didn't talk about the, their existing audience or uh, you know, the, the following that they've, they've gathered already. It's, it's not about where you've come from necessarily. It's just about what you are giving to other people, the ideas and the, the concepts well, that you're giving to Yes, them. you know, when you can see a light bulb go off in someone's mind and their eyes brighten because mm -hmm. all of a sudden they get it. Yep. It clicks. Something that didn't quite fit yesterday all of a sudden makes sense and they can apply it. And that's really the beauty. So I think it comes to application. Yep. Uh, do you consider yourself an influencer? I do. Ever since I read a book by Covey called The Eighth Habit which sort of helped me share my voice with other people rather than just do what I did. It helped me recognize that other people could benefit from what I've learned um, through my own path. You give a man a fish, he eats. Mm -hmm. You teach him how to fish, he feeds a village for a lifetime. There's a huge difference. And the key is basically the difference between knowledge and understanding. Most people confuse them for the same, but knowledge is not understanding by any means. Why don't you briefly go into that a little bit deeper? Well, just understanding, that once you have knowledge, gee, I know that stuff, I know that exists, I know that th those things are real, but mm -hmm. what do you know about those things? Do you know how to apply them, how to use them? Uh, and really, we cut our limits to what we think we need, and yet there are many things that we just don't know we don't know. And when one considers, if I don't know something, I'm aware that I don't know it, and I can go learn something, I can go research it. But what happens when I don't know I don't know it? Where does one start? Well, what I've learned through my pursuits is that there's so much that we have in communications between one another that are nonverbal. I mean, I was blown away when I learned the statistical numbers behind what makes up a conversation. Uh, would it surprise you to know it? 93% of a conversation is nonverbal? So uh, break that down for you. What are, what are the different parts of a conversation? What makes up that 93%? Well, you have, of course, the basics, which are facial expression, body language, tonality, inflection, eye movement. These are the basic visible things. Mm -hmm. 
that we can see, but many of us just don't know how to interpret those and we're not going to spend the time to learn. The other side are emotional tics that we trigger in other people and that we trigger in ourselves. And in many cases, I mean, for example, has you ever been in a room with someone and everything was going smoothly and all of a sudden something you said or did <laughs> and they went off yep. and they just got upset and started yelling or, well, did you, and then they yelled at you and what did you do? You get defensive. And you kind okay, of and you fought back, yeah. like natural occurrence. But mm -hmm. yet, did you ever stop to think that if you're the only two people in the room, regardless of your intention or what you meant, Something you projected to them triggered that emotion and that behavior, and now the emotion and behavior has completely taken over the conversation. What, what would it look like if you can avoid those things in the first place? And secondly, when you recognize them when they occur and disarm their influences before they took over the conversation, what would life look at then? So this led me down the path of learning behavioral aspects of different environments that I could observe repeatedly and recognize that there were certain patterns that could be avoided just by being able to see what they looked like and understand that I should be paying attention to them. You see everything I see. The difference is you don't interpret the same things I interpret. Mm -hmm. And it's only because someone showed me what they look like. Yeah. So let's talk, let's talk for a few minutes about why we interpret them differently. We have, we have different perspectives. So what influences those perspectives? Okay, well, that's your data set from infancy till now. When you look at neuro-linguistic programming, you have three primary components that, that are weighed there. Neural, your five primary senses, how you bring the world in to you. You have linguistics, which is how you communicate through recall or creation of the things that you've taken in, and that's how you project yourself out to the world. And then you have programming, the patterns that your brain recognizes from infancy that it incorporates into every single context you ever become exposed to. The more it sees the pattern, the more the brain subconsciously knows how to use those patterns. For example, when you go and would you pick up that pen for a moment? How many billions of calculations do you think your subconscious mind just did to pick up that pen and hold it with just the right amount of force? Another interesting statistic that blew me away when I learned it was that how fast the human brain actually is. And when it was introduced to me, it was put to get as, an, as a question. And the fastest supercomputer in the world, can you fathom how fast that might be? Uh, pretty fast. How long do you think it would take that computer to process one second of human brain activity? What would be your guess? Three microseconds? Four microseconds? Yeah. I mean, a milliseconds? Of a second. Just a Wouldn't it surprise you to know it would take 40 minutes? 40 minutes for the fastest supercomputer in the world to process one second of human brain activity. Wow. But you see, you're confused, and as most people are, because the conscious mind can only focus on one thing at a time. But the subconscious mind can focus on many millions of things at the same time. Yeah. It runs your whole makeup. It runs your body. It allows you to breathe. When you first learned how to walk, that was a pattern. And every time you get up and you get on your feet, do you think about walking? Mm -mm. You just do it. Mm -hmm. Because your subconscious knows that activity. It does not require your conscious mind. So when we, I recognize that the brain has so much cap capability because your subconscious mind also houses your emotions, your behaviors, uh, your belief systems, which are your reality. 
So you ask, what's the difference between how you see things and I see things? Is your reality is a figment of your imagination, just like mine is a figment of my imagination. There is no reality, only what I see and what I interpret. And because you see the same thing does not mean you'll interpret it the same way because you were brought up in a different environment, exposed to different people, the way they said things. Um, and that makes up the difference in the composite between one person and another. We may learn the same things, we may practice the same beliefs, but we will still interpret differently. And mind you, we will interpret many of the same things the same way. So when we look at how it works, the conscious mind is there to, as a director or a manager. It's there to direct the conscious mind. The subconscious mind is there to do everything and throw in all the intermix and the interplay of beliefs and behaviors and, and whatever else is going on in the way of emotions that are being stimulated right at the moment. And those things are playing into the, and influencing the conversation and the outcome, but much to the eyes of the people in the conversation, they're unaware. And so they start influencing and falling victim to these things, and they don't even know that it's happening. So how do you move from unaware to aware? Well, the first thing, someone needs to show you what things look like. Someone needs to describe to you what elements you should be looking at and what they mean so that you can weigh and judge how to respond to them accordingly rather than react. I mean, the human mind, it's just, it's a collection of information. There's everything in there you've ever been exposed to since infancy. The problem is your directory tree is failing. You don't know where you filed it so you don't know how to get back to it. It's just like a hard disk on a computer, okay? Do you know where you put every single file you've ever stored? No. Okay, could you put your fingertips on that file name that you stored two years ago? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, not unless you come across it. Now, well, the brain start, works in a similar fashion. Let's talk about sales. You've got someone, they, they're doing their usual prospecting. Right. They, find, they, get, they collect a list of leads. They, they do some cold calls, and they get somebody on the phone. Right. So let's, let's walk through some scenarios of, of those phone calls and maybe how, what people need to be looking out for maybe or, or what they need to be watching for in themselves even. Mm -hmm. Well, a conversation, you know, we have to look at agendas first because uh, understanding agendas is really the key to understanding what you need to do and how, where you need to take the conversation. So you're a client, and let's not talk about phone calls per se, because cold calls is a whole, I don't think we have time to really go into that. Okay, sure. But let's just look at client philosophies of agendas. You as a client, a buyer, what is your agenda walking into my office? First and foremost. I'm looking for a product or service. You came for, to buy to a product buy. or service mm -hmm. that meets your needs. That meets my needs. And you're here to evaluate me to determine whether or not you're going to buy it from me. Correct. Do you have any other agenda? No, not Did really. Did you come here to be my friend? Not necessarily. Help me grow my business? <laughs> no. Why not? Because I'm trying to get my thing to fill my quota. You don't care about I'm, me from a hole in the wall. I need to do Okay, my so thing. that's your agenda. What do you think mine is? To, to sell. So you think it's black and white, I'm here to sell you something. Do you think I'm going to charge you the best price or the highest price? What do you think when you first walk in and meet me for the first time? When I meet you for the first Before time. Before you meet me, actually, what do you even think about? I'm, the thoughts that are going through my mind are, let's see how reasonable this guy can be. Okay, so you're looking for a bargain and you think I'm not going to give you one. Where did that come from? You haven't even met me yet. No. Prior experience. Yeah. You, you experience, <clears throat> that's a pattern. 
you are now have a pattern of buying because you've met someone before that took advantage of you and you now protect yourself. So you're here to evaluate me. You see me as here to sell you something that meet, hopefully meet your needs at the best possible value. Mm -hmm. And then do I have any other agenda as a salesman? A good salesman is going to want a, a relationship there to continue on after the first sale. If, For if what end? Well, hopefully to make more, <laughs> to sell oh, more so after you that. More, so you think I want more business and I want referrals and things like that, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, that is the second agenda of the sales professional. But when's he going to share it, the knowledge that he wants referrals and more business from that person? Probably not until the client is satisfied. So bef after the sale is over, mm -hmm. how important does the client perceive referrals and future business is if it wasn't even mentioned until after the process took place. Do you see? Yeah. I left you with perhaps an impression that it wasn't that important to me because I treated it like most people do as an afterthought. So you see how behaviors are manifested within this cycle? Mm -hmm. Okay, so how do we avoid it? We avoid it by presenting our purpose in a way that the client accepts it. May I give you an example? Mm -hmm. Andrew, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Uh, and let, we're assuming, of course, that you're a client and I'm the professional. Uh, before we get started talking about your needs, would it be okay if I shared with you a little bit about how I work and what a working relationship going forward might look like? Mm-hmm. Well, the way I work is with good people like yourself to help me grow my business. I don't rely on typical marketing and advertising because personally I hate all that junk mail, don't you? Yes. <laughs> and dealing with websites for my research or calling up an 800 number for a deal with automatons. I'd much rather just give you my cell phone because I think that's totally unprofessional. Would you agree? Yes. And as we start working together and you see the benefits of my efforts and the gains we achieve together, I'd like to be able to talk to you in the future about others you know that perhaps I can help in the same way. Would that be all right? Mm-hmm. Did you just agree to give me referrals and you don't even know what I do? <laughs> yeah. See how I guided you through a process? Mm -hmm. So this is what's called an upfront agreement. I have gotten you to agree to participate in a process you didn't even know existed or cared about. What I've done is I've planted a seed of willingness okay. that we can have a conversation about referrals after I deliver everything you expect and more. And provided I don't deliver it, we can't have the conversation. I don't have permission. But once I do, you're already prepared to give them to me. You're not as adverse as if I burdened you at the end by saying, who else do you know that I can gnaw on their ankles and chew on their knees? <laughs> so many, many sales professionals have just been trained improperly as to how to approach these things. Rather than talking about them up front as part of, a tr of an agreement, they talk about them after the fact as part of a requirement. So the way we make things part of other people's lives, not part of their problems, is by giving them the option to say no in a way that makes them comfortable saying yes. Hmm. If I turned around and said, what did you come in for? <laughs> How's that feel? Not too good. But if I came, if I turned around and asked you a question instead in a different way, may I ask how I might be able to assist you today? Okay, is it different? Mm -hmm. So asking questions also, it's a very important thing as to how one asks a question. Permission is a disarmor. Would it surprise you to know that? It makes sense. Do you notice how I ask permission to even talk further? Yeah. Would it be okay if I shared this thought? Rather, I got some things I'd really like to tell you. So we have to look at each person that we talk to and we have to basically weigh them as to how we ask questions and then we have to observe how they respond to our questions. And what are we stimulating in them, not verbally, but emotionally? 
behaviorally, are they still paying attention to us? Have they drifted off into Never Never Land in our conversation or our diatribe of presentation? And so many sales professionals come out and do information overload and dump what they call yeah. it vomit. Yeah. Ask questions, don't tell. There's only two rules in selling. May I share them with you? Absolutely. Rule number one, selling is not telling. Would you like to know what rule number two is? <laughs> Definitely. Rule number two is never, ever forget about rule number one. <laughs> Why? Because as soon as you start telling, you start stimulating adversities, okay, and you start making people question their decisions. But when you ask what they know first, and then you ask if you can share more, then they become receptive. So if I've got a few things I want to tell you about what you're doing wrong, okay, how does that feel? <laughs> not great. <laughs> okay, and all the things I now list and tell you, are you going to listen to any of them? Probably not. Because what did I put in front of me? A 15-foot wall of concrete. Yep. Okay, I pushed your button and let you lay that concrete right out in front of me. But what if I asked, how would you ask that question in a different way that might be more engaging? May I ask what you already know May about I what okay. I want to tell you? Because may I ask, you could say no, but it's remarkable that when you ask permission of someone, because they can say no without consequences, they're more apt to answer yes. But when there might be consequences or they perceive the pressure, they're much more apt to answer no, behaviorally. They want to contribute and participate when you ask their permission, but <laughs> not so much when you don't. I want to shift from the salesman client customer perspectives yes. to, an, to a coworker perspective. Okay. As one employee to another or as a boss to an employee. Mm -hmm. What are some things that people can start to pay attention to or or how do how do those principles of question asking and permission asking how do they apply to that scenario? Well, in in that scenario, first of all, you have to look at patterns that are being created from the time they've been. Uh, for example, if I'm always disrupted and I'm always rude, then when you come in as a coworker and you want something from me, your perception of me is what? I'm always rude always and I'm always disruptive. and I'm yeah. always, you know, in chaos. And so before you even walk into my office in the future, you're already prepared for that. Mm -hmm. Well, what if you were able to disarm my rude and disruptiveness by understanding how to speak to me in um, in an, in a way that I became more engaged as opposed to disrupted. And so that would be what I would look for is, how can I talk to this person so I can change a pattern? See, beliefs are very strong. And once I create a belief system, the only way that a belief system really could change, in my opinion, is for information to be introduced to me in a receptive state. Information in a non-receptive state is rejected out of hand, and it will never, ever alter what I believe. Brian Tracy tells a story. Brian Tracy is a, one of the famous, world-renowned sales trainers. And he tells a story about Corning Glass, and I may not share it exactly verbatim, but uh, if, with your permission, I'll share it. And he talks about the, the Corning in the 1930s hired 73 salespeople to sell safety glass to the automobile industry. It was a new invention by the company, glass that didn't shatter. Well, they all went out and they sold glass all year long and when the company did their tallies for their corporate meeting, they found one salesman, they sold $6 million worth of glass, by the way, their first year. That's a lot. <laughs> but yet, one salesman sold $3.2 million. 72 others collectively only sold 2.8. How is that possible? 
It's a big They're difference. all selling the same product to yeah. the same client base, same target. And they gave him a bonus and asked him. And he says, well, so when you first gave me this job, I was real excited selling new technology, innovation. But when I got out there, I found it to be very demoralizing. And the executives asked, what do you mean demoralizing? He says, well, he says, I'd walk in and I'd say, hey, Mr. Prospect, how are you today? And how would you like to see a piece of glass that doesn't shatter? And they'd say, all glass shatters, get the heck out of my office and stop <laughs> wasting my time. There's the door. <laughs> and pointing to the door, you know, and it was very demoralizing. I walked out with my tail between my legs more often than not. And they said, well, how did you achieve such greatness then? And you see 72 other people in the meeting shaking their head yes because they're experiencing the same resistance. He says, well, I took a few days off and I role-played with my wife. And finally, she role-played me and it dawned on me I wasn't selling glass. And the executive pimes in and says, what do you mean? That's all we sell is glass. He says, no, I was dispelling beliefs. And I said, well, how did you overcome it? He said, I went to the factory. I had them cut me a bunch of four-inch squares. Then I went to the hardware store, bought myself a ball-peen hammer. And now when they're pointing at the door saying, get out, I reach into my valise, I grab a square and I put it on their desk, I grab my hammer and I go, smash! <laughs> and while they're standing there in amazement, I turn around and say, how much you want? And the company was so enamored, they hired, they cut samples for everybody, they bought hammers, scripted everybody, and sales went through the roof, 32 million. This guy went three months off with his bonus, and still sold 15.9 the following year. <laughs> and they said, we copied you exactly. How did you still manage to excel beyond everybody else? He said, well, he said, once I gave you my secret, I figured everybody else would be just like me, and I couldn't have that. So <laughs> I took that three months, and I role-played, and I role-played, and I continued hacking at it until it finally dawned on me there was another belief that was still in play that had yet to be broken. And they said, what was that? And he says, well, I'll t I won't tell you. He says, I'll tell you, that I'll repeat my story to you. I'll tell you my sales pitch and you see if you could figure it out. And he says, I walk into the client's office. I go, hey, Mr. Prospect, how are you today? And how would you like to see a piece of glass that doesn't shatter? And they say, all glass shatters. Get the heck out of my office. And there's the door. And I reach into my valise and I'd slap a sample on his desk. And while he was standing there confused, I grabbed my hammer with the other hand and what changed? Nothing changed yet, did it? Nothing yet. But I hand him the hammer because he figures that I'm a salesman pitching woo. There's a trick. But when he hits it, I pull out my order pad and say, how much more do you want? So when we look at beliefs, we have to understand what is it that you believe, not is it what is it that I believe that's in the way between us communicating our message. When you're working with a peer, when you're working with a, pa a parent, a spouse, a teacher, we can communicate in ways that change the vision of the message. I gave you an example earlier of how easy it is to guide the mind elsewhere, mm -hmm. give it a different painted picture. I'll repeat it for your audience. See how many of these people get it. it is the bus that you're driving has 10 people on it. At the first stop, four get off and two get on. At the second stop, three get off and five get on. At the third stop, two get off. How old is the bus driver? I'd like all the you that realize how old the bus driver is to write in and let us know, because we're curious, and we don't know the answer to this, but you do. <laughs> so have fun with that. And when you figure it out, you might get a chuckle, and then you'll learn the reality that we can always learn more about what's going on right in front of us rather than think we know 
and react that way. Response is always a better category than reaction. That's good. Thank you very much. Man, that, that's so enlightening. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. So I hope that you guys have been inspired and encouraged by Ralph. Man, what, a, what an incredible interview. I hope you guys really, uh, really listen to this stuff and really apply it. This can have huge implications, I think, in, in our relationships with anybody, really. Not just salesmen or, or coworkers, but like you said, families and friends and anybody else that we... Neuro-lingu- applied neurolinguistics can be utilized literally with anyone that has to communicate with another human being. There are better ways to communicate. There are better ways to guide the outcome. When we look at NLP, we have three primary segments. We have manipulation, which is unethical and inappropriate, however it is used. We have intentional guidance, which is to your benefit at my sacrifice. An example of that might be, I can sell you that software package, but our program, it, gosh, it doesn't do half the things you need. Why don't you buy my competitors? Call up Joe over there at that company and buy theirs because that does what you need. I create credibility and respect by not selling the wrong thing and the wrong tool. And then we have intentional influence, and that's the example that I gave you earlier about the pen, is that you came in for something and it was the wrong thing, and through my questioning skills, I helped you find and select the right thing, and I helped you buy it. Because selling doesn't have to be about selling and actually never should be because it breaks both rules. Selling is about asking questions and helping people buy. Learn how to help people buy. You'll never have to sell again, and you'll close more business than you ever imagined. Awesome. Ralph is with Word of Mouth Marketing here in Denver. It's his own company. He does classes that you guys can attend if you want to look into that, uh, where he teaches a lot of this stuff in more detail. And so uh, feel free to check him out. Uh, His website is wordofmouthinc.com. And they can always call me directly. So look him up, uh, and it's, it's just been a delight to, to be talking with you, Ralph. Thank well, you very much. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate the opportunity, and you have a great day. You too. I'm Andrew Gabbert. You guys have a great week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Influence That Innovates, brought to you by Joyco Productions. And don't forget, somebody's always watching. Don't waste it.